Welcome to the Graceful Hustle podcast. On this episode, we have my girl, Erica Jarena, who just has a phenomenal backstory to her career, which makes her the perfect person to talk to us about being, as Shonda Rhimes has famously said, first, only, and different. But Erica has an additional flavor to her story as well, because she's also been the youngest person in the room for most of her life. Erica is a phenomenal community development professional. She has done work in community affairs, fundraising, organizational development, as well as diversity and inclusion. And as a Latina woman, she has a very unique perspective on her career experiences. And she's dropping some gems, y'all. So take a listen. I believe this is going to be just as much fun for you to listen to as it was for me to record. Welcome to the Graceful Hustle Podcast, where people of faith learn how to amplify their professional impact. I'm your host, Monique Carkham Edwards, a New Orleans girl who loves seafood, a wannabe fashion stylist, wife and mother. I'm also an executive strategist, attorney and pastor, and I'm here to help you Get to the C-suite with your soul right. Welcome to this episode of the Graceful Hustle podcast. I have my girl Erica Jarena on here today with me. Erica and I met through a mutual friend. Shout out to Kiki Peterson who put us together. Yes, we love Kiki. And and Erica and I, we sat and we talked the first day we met. We must have sat for what, about four hours? That's right. Just about, <laughs> just about. That's right. And we talked about everything from our faith to our career to our families. And it was such a wonderful connection. So I am thrilled to now have her on the podcast. Welcome, Erica. Thank you, Monique, so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you and your audience today. Yes, we are excited to have you. So as you heard in the intro, Erica, she's a lot of things, but, but <laughs> I think of you, Erica, as a builder. You build relationships, you help companies build strategy, you come in and you build communities, you build donor bases. So if I could think of one word that would kind of describe everything that you've done, you've been a builder and, and now it looks like in this phase of your life, you're kind of a connector of, of different uh, uh, organizations and people and communities. But one of the things that really impressed me during our first conversation was the beginning of your career. You found your career focus very early on. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a Puerto Rican girl. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, Boricua. Yes. And, um, and I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I'm currently residing in New Jersey, but, um, I, I have to say that the church was such a huge uh, part of my upbringing, the shaping and development of who I am as a person. And I think it's why I'm such an advocate for non, the nonprofit sector in general, because you have the opportunity to exercise and even learn about gifts that you have mm -hmm. um, and practice them in a safe environment <laughs> where it's like, no girl, you can't sing. Don't do that. <laughs> Or like if you're, if you start to like preach, try to learn how to preach. And so you learn like the, how to be comfortable, like in front of an audience. I remember watching an interview for the producers of American Idol and they said, why do you think it is that so many 
people that joined the stage of American Idol are Christian, like they're a bunch of church kids. Yeah. And they're like, because they have been practicing and singing in front of an audience week after week after week, mm -hmm. you know, for so long that they're very comfortable. So by the time they get on a platform and in front of cameras and a live audience, this is what, this is what we've been doing. That's so right. I, uh, the church really shaped me. And one thing that's very, very important that I've noticed just in our communities and people of color, and especially as women, is that we lack so much like uh, confidence. Mm -hmm. We are always in our own heads and questioning, like, are we good enough? Are we qualified enough? Are we, you know, all of these other questions. And so having kind of those opportunities, like growing up in the church, like it builds your confidence in yes. a way that really sets you up to be like, well, I am great at this. And meanwhile, you know, you go to a small church where people have been telling you that you're great. And then you go in the real world and it's like, uh, girl. <laughs> You are not that great. Like, stop, please. Stop. You're just a little bit great. You're not like great, great. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's when we go, we, we turn into um, prayer warriors now. <laughs> right. Because I realize I can't sing. Right. So we transition. We're like, God, what is our purpose in life again? So anyway, so like the church truly does help do that. And so I started at 11 years old. I met this deaf boy in sixth grade. I had never met a deaf I had never seen American Sign Language and never seen any of that. And just because I'm naturally a very curious person, um, I just had questions and I'm like, wait, what is this? Who is this? And, and he was also of a different ethnicity. And, and I was just so fascinated and I'm like, oh my goodness. So I started to learn like the alphabet in sign language. And then from there, of course, as I grew up in church, I'm like, who's reaching these people? So I start a whole thing, a whole organ, it, and it ends up turning into an organization that's traveling across the country. We're performing in TV shows and programs and in huge stadiums and all this other stuff. And kind of long story short, and the whole kind of full circle moment for me was I have a sister that's five years older than me. She ended up going to school, didn't know what to do with her life. And then she ends up pursuing a career in American Sign Language. And so today she's a now nationally certified interpreter for the deaf. And why that matters is, and this is her career now that she's been doing and championing and advocating for work for deaf, the deaf community. Um, it just showed me at that super early age, like one person can really make a difference in someone's life. Wow. So what was just like that little flame of curiosity mm -hmm. is just like continuing to fan that flame and just saying, okay, what, what else am I curious about? Mm -hmm. And just leaning into that and learning a little bit and then going all the way in. And so, yeah, I would say that the church definitely played a huge role in that. Wow. So you went from being curious about something that you had never seen before to, to building, again, you as a builder from a very young age, building an organization and a ministry that traveled around and actually uh, took part in doing sign language and, and for the deaf, all from a moment of curiosity. And so you started out, really, you kind of started your own nonprofit, if you will. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then, but at a very early age, I think it was like your late teens, you actually started work or early 20s, you started working in a, a, a national nonprofit, right? Tell yeah. us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, so smooth transition. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 uh, because as a result of that, you know, as a teenager, I was very involved in like leadership academy at my school and all, and I was never like a straight A student or anything like like I was never, I was just always had like 
incredible favor like with leaders and so that's really what got me in the door like with a lot of opportunities even at school and so we had this oppor this opportunity this on the job training where in my junior year of high school we would get credits if we worked and so my father at the time was a computer engineer for an organization called at that time campus crusade for christ which mm -hmm. is a global missions organization and just kind of like spearheads all things evangelism around the world and so they were looking for somebody to work in their fund development department which is the department responsible for raising funds so that ministry can happen on college campuses all across the country and so my father was like erica you can do this and i'm like no i can't do this you know like i i've never even like really worked anywhere i was 14 years old at the time and um and actually it turned out that my first job there was opening the mail which is like this big sophisticated machine that like has two suction cups that opens up the envelope and you pull the checks out and so i just kept saying like i can't believe like where's all this money coming from mm. so it started there in that mail room locked up in a vault because it's where the mail gets it gets dropped off with all this amounts of money mm -hmm. and then you just kind of are separating all of it to, to then process mm -hmm. and so it started there again that curiosity and that question Mm -hmm. Where does all this money come from? This is so weird. And then almost right away, because I started working there, they were like, hey, this role has opened up in the campus ministry. You know, would your daughter be interested? And my father's like, my girl can do anything. You know, like, he's <laughs> just like yeah, she got a lot of dads who believe in yeah. their daughters. Love yeah. it. And, and so you were how old at this time? I was 14. 14. I was wow. working in that ball, which I'm sure is illegal, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like Orlando has their own set of rules with how they treat children, but we'll leave that alone. <laughs> Hilarious. You're like, I just, put, I just put Orlando on blast for violating child labor laws, but it's okay. <laughs> which I always tell people, which I'm sure the president does not appreciate. But, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I was 14 at the time and then kind of was working summers and winter breaks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then from there, transitioned on the job training. Now I'm 16 years old for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, dad, I don't know if I could do it. He's like, you can do it. I went in and I worked. And of course, that was a very unique experience because I was the youngest in the entire building. I was the only non-white in the entire building. Um, and it was, uh, and I was a paid staff, which is different with their model. Everyone raises their own support. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so even in that way, even in that regard, it was uh, very unique. And, the and you were being paid? Also okay. the fact that I was a woman because everything was at that time, mostly men. Wow. Okay. So you are 16 years old, Latina yeah. in a predominantly white male environment you're a paid staff person and they're paying you to do what exactly around fundraising? Yeah, so for that, for at that point, my job was to write a letter. So anytime when the, they separated the mail on the front end, on the back end, I should say, then that if anybody had written a note that went along with that check, that gets put into a, sp a specific pile. So my job then for that ministry, I would get the pile for that ministry and then my responsibility was to respond to each of those letters. So now I was understanding like these people had prayer requests or they would have comments about the ministry. And so I used to respond on behalf of the national director of that campus ministry there. 
And so it would be like, you know, sorry that, you know, oh, I need prayer for Johnny. And it'd say, you know, thank you so much for your recent donation to the ministry. And I just want you to know that I want to, I want you to know that we were praying for Johnny and we hope that Johnny's doing well. So it really taught me that like super VIP, like the importance of true customer service and really like learning how to serve others, like at the highest level. Wow. And so you, a 16 year old Latina, you were responding on behalf of the national director for Campus Crusade for Christ, who was probably a, a, a older white male, probably about 40 years old, right? So these people get letters, not having any idea that you're the person who's actually writing them. But yeah. the wonderful thing is that you got a chance to really learn how to connect with donor bases very early. Yeah. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with your success as you moved into even higher levels of the organization, right? So talk about how you ascended because you started at 16, officially getting paid, and then you then advanced from there. So yeah, I had a corporate card. I was traveling. I was training teams around the region. Um, there's the, the way that they were broken up was they were broken up in 10 different regions and they had a regional director. And so a lot of times I would be coaching that regional director on how to properly engage with donors. Mm -hmm. And so, and essentially it's just mastering the art of service. And again, that's why I kind of started the story with the church being so mm -hmm. like instrumental in my development and my shaping because and especially like spanish latino church like they drill that into you like you're there to serve other people all the time for 24 7 you don't <laughs> give you breaks or anything you're just like mom i'm tired it's three in the morning why am i still helping you know sister so and so so but and that really it, it gets drilled into you because you learn like you you start to see the reaction from people like in the little things it's never the big things and i always tell people you've got to be like a master the art of the detail and because it speaks um of the depth of love to other people and so just that i think my the, the shaping of that the experience the church that i had that i was always like hey, i'm here to serve i'm here to serve i'll come to church early i'll practice early i'll do whatever like jumping in like you just become such a master of like seeing problems mm -hmm. and ways that you can solve them mm. and so you're constantly like unpacking that and so in serving them and serving donors what i really learned was you know donors are like like any of us you know we we ourselves are donors we're givers we're, we want to be more philanthropic and the, the biggest thing is when somebody gives you something, like thank them, mm. like be appreciative, acknowledge them, and then say, how can now I help you? How can I serve you? How can I add value to you? How can I help you win? And it's like in, in that kind of learning the importance of that, trans, it, it, it shifts from making things transactional to now mm -hmm. more relational. Yes. And whenever you get more relational, it gives you access to people's hearts and to go deeper into people's mm -hmm. lives. Wow. And, and for, as it relates to donors, <laughs> go deeper into their wallets. Oh, wow, that, that's amazing. And so you were, how old were you when you were traveling and training these teams on donor relations? How old? Yeah, that was 16 and 17. Like wow. those were those were the years that I really did that. And I recall a donor that owned a bunch of private Christian schools out on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Now Crew is is based in Florida and uh, they're now called Crew. And um and I remember calling her and I was 17 and she spilled all her guts out and was just she had given a gift of 
like $500. So at that time, my supervisor was like, hey, here's a stack of folders. These are people that give 500 to, mm-hmm. you know, $5,000, which is a, a small gift for an organization at that that's that big. And he was like, I don't know what to do with them. Like, just figure out what to do. And I was, I just started to call them and pray with them. And I started to call and ask questions. How are you? How are things going on? And again, that curiosity always comes in, like being curious Mm -hmm. and intentional to listen intently to people and what people are not saying. That's like, so so kind of just Mm -hmm. really being such a good listener and so that you can respond accordingly. And so it allowed me to say, okay, I want to pray with you. Well, what, what do we need to pray about? You know? Mm -hmm. And so they'd share her, they'd share their lives. So in this, in this um, example, her name was Jan and she owns all these Christian private schools. And she just started to like spill her whole life story. And she was just like, Oh my goodness, I'm struggling with my staff. I don't know what to do with this. I'm frustrated with my business. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I was just like encouraging her. I was listening and I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, what else? You know, what happened? And, um, and advising her, I was totally like telling her, look, Jan, it's easy. Just do X, Y, <laughs> like, girl, it's going to be okay. And, and she so, had no idea. She was getting this advice from a 17 year old, right? Like, yeah. And my boss had told me, whatever you do, don't tell people your age. But then <laughs> the moment happened that at the end of that, she, I prayed with her and she's like, Erica, I just have to ask, how old are you? Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't lie. So I was like, uh, Jan, I'm 17. And she's like, you're what? I just spilled my entire life to a 17 year old. And it was my biggest moment where I was like, oh my goodness. And then this is how she responded. She said, that campus ministry must really work if they're able to develop leaders like mm-hmm. you that can listen and pray and advise. So here, I didn't even realize it, but she's like, this is the reason why this ministry is so important. Yes. Like, look at how they position leaders like you as a young person to speak wow. into the lives of business leaders out there. And so that night, I will never forget, um, she gave a $10,000 gift over the phone. Wow. And, um, proceeded then to give another 20000 a few weeks after and is still a large donor of the ministry till this day. And so it's wow. a great story to tell because it's the first, it was the first call that I ever did and it kind of led me into this career of raising money for ministries. That is amazing. So you've talked about curiosity. You gave us a clinic on servant leadership, right? <laughs> right. The servant leadership, listening. How can I serve? It's not about me. It's about the person. And really about, I love what you said about moving from being transactional to being relational. So and, and she was right, Campus Crusade, they must have been doing an amazing job developing because here you are. So talk a little bit about that development. Like, I know your dad was the person who was like, my baby girl can do anything. Sure, let, you know, let her do it. But along the way, you proved yourself. But there were people who I'm sure acted as sponsors and champions and mentors. So kind of talk about the role that sponsorship and mentorship and being championed has had in the acceleration of your career. Yeah, and it kind of takes me to one of the verses that I always had to kind of lead with in my life was there was two that kind of became like very important to me. And and when people would always tell me like, gosh, you're so young, you're how old are you, Erica? And it was just so like obvious. And so the scripture that I I always held on to was 1 Timothy 
4.12. And so I'm going to read it, which says, get the word out, teach all these things, and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching. And that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. That's the message version, which yes, I love. I love the message Bible. Yes, <laughs> I love that version. And so your gift, like it makes room for you. You know, it really does. And I... I wasn't trained. I, I couldn't have been like, even when I look back, I'm like, was I trained? And I, maybe I missed something and I didn't really know. Like, um, but it isn't, it really was like, uh, the, the team that I landed in understood this is a weird human being that God has allowed <laughs> into our world. Unique, unique. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll say unique. But at the time they really were just like, what? Like when I, after I called my boss, cause there weren't cell phones then and, or anything like that. I couldn't text him or anything. I literally had to be like, Jan, hold on one second and go to another phone in the cubicle next to me and dial him and say, this is happening. I don't even know how to take a credit card number. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And so it, it was such a different time. It wasn't, it, I wasn't able to, to um, lean on anybody, but that next day when they were like, wait a minute, can you, we need to walk. First of all, we want to make sure you didn't do anything illegal <laughs> because it was just kind of like that. That's never happened. Like, How do you get $10,000 from somebody? <laughs> that's never happened. You need to walk us through this. Like what happened? I love it. I love it. sure that they weren't in trouble, you know? <laughs> And so I was like, of course, right? Because I just couldn't, you know. <laughs> They're like, first, let's make sure we didn't do anything illegal. And then yeah. second, let's document this so we can let it, so we can try to make it happen again. So you can replicate it, right? What do we owe Jan? Right. Out of curiosity, right? And, but it wasn't, I said, you know, it, it honestly, I walked them through everything. And I said, what happened? And, and that team was like that day, they said, we need to do everything in our power to make sure that we further develop Erica in this gift, because that is something that's hard to do. And mm -hmm. I really thank God that even though there was probably one woman that was older at the time and uh, single, she had Lord sort of like a side eye, like, mm. Mm. don't come well, up in here trying to win. Don't. Uh, do wow. Don't yeah, but yeah, that's real though. That's a real <laughs> dynamic. It is. And it's, and, and part of it too, is like, you can't be that young and like be as good or, mm -hmm. yeah. or at what I'm doing. Like, don't come up in here. Like, this is like my world or whatever. And so, but it didn't matter because at that time, the men, the white older men led everything. So <laughs> right. it was kind of like her and I, even though we were very different, we're kind of put in the same category mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. women, um, period. So these were white older men who said, Erica has a gift, she's unique, and we're going to do everything that we can to begin to develop this and give her opportunities. Yeah. And then it was great because they started to take my stories and share those stories. And so they were just kind of like, well, um, Erica, come to this training. We're going to invite you to be on this training, Sit, you know, have a seat wherever you'd like. I mean, mm -hmm. they were always just so like open, like, we're going to do this. And then when other people would come into the room and be like, who's that girl? Like, why mm -hmm. is she here? And they'd be like, Oh, wait, wait till you hear this. You know, it's just <laughs> kind of like, I was like their featured, like, I don't know, entertainer or whatever. And, 
And so and you were their marketing, basically. Basically, and it was so important too because at the time they were hearing they would hear so many excuses as to why people weren't doing what they were they could have been doing or should have been doing. They would say, mm-hmm. "I'm young, nobody respects me. I'm this, nobody mm-hmm. respects me. Mm-hmm. I'm not." So they were kind of like in comes Erica Durana and they're just kind of like, oh, by the way, for all of you who keep using excuses, mm-hmm. it ain't going to work anymore right. because here we have exhibit A. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so you were, as Shonda Rhimes has said, first, only different youngest, right? We could add that into it in just about every environment that you, that you've been in. Cause even after you left campus crusade for Christ, you were then that. So how have you navigated that? You shared with us your scripture from Timothy. And just for those viewers who might not be familiar with the word, the scripture that Erica read was advice that Paul, the apostle Paul was giving to Timothy, who was a very young minister who he had left to pastor a church that Paul had founded. And so Paul was giving him this, this, this uh, admonition and this advice. And so we have that scripture. What have been some of the mantras? What have been some of the things that you've learned or adopted over the years as you've navigated your way through being first, only, youngest, different? I, one thing I adopted really, really early on is um, you are not the rule, you're the exception. Okay. And it was so important because every time I would walk into a meeting or I would sit into anything, it's like when you're the first person that's done something, mm-hmm. there is no template. Um, HR didn't know, like, how do we treat this situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, just corporate America wasn't, and the organization wasn't set up to really, with me in mind when they mm-hmm. wrote okay. it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so because of that, it was always like, well, we don't usually do this, but like, that's the line that I would hear like <laughs> all the time. Okay. And so I just began to say like, I am not the rule, I'm the exception. And then just kind of like move accordingly. So it gave me like, it gave me the courage to ask for things that maybe normally people um, or my father, if I would ask them, like my mother was a, a homemaker. So she, she didn't go to work, you know, she stayed home. So she couldn't, I didn't have that model of an example of a female, like working, like what did that really, or what to ask for was almost kind of like, just be grateful girl. You're young and you're like, you have a real job. Like your friends are all working at the mall or whatever. And you're <laughs> right. like showing up in a suit somewhere, you know, <laughs> right. like, who, who are you? And so it, and it's almost like, that messaging even is so like it's so dangerous of just like just be grateful that you even have that because at your age and or at your whatever whatever fill in the blank is that most of us hear mm-hmm. and it's like uh excuse me i'm not i'm not the rule i'm the exception mm. you know and i walk i i walk with kind of that confidence even though you know like i'm we're all insecure we all have our right. insecurities yeah. and all of that stuff <laughs> But it's, it really is that self-talk to just say, you know, Lord, I know that you've gifted me with something that's unique. I want to honor you with that. And I also want to not stop learning from the people and the spaces that you put me in. Mm-hmm. And so just as those people were willing to invest into me, I also had to make sure that I was showing and bearing fruit for like what they were investing into me. You had to bring the results. Yeah, I had to, I had that responsibility and I understood that. 
like, hey, we're going to give, we're going to pour into you and we're willing to invest into you, but we want to see what's going to come from that. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to, we want to see like, like, let's explore that, you know? And so, yeah. I, I like that. I'm not the rule. I'm the exception because they, they, and they sort of opened the door for this by saying, well, we've never done this before. We've never had anybody like this before. And so that gave you the opportunity to say, well, since nobody's ever done it, I can kind of craft this or shape this to be what I want it to be. So that, 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 that's a, that's a unique perspective. I like that. Yeah. And I also want to add that, you know, going back to like that group that I started when I was a young girl, you know, I grew up with all blacks. Mm -hmm. I went to, I went to church with all Latinos, all Hispanics, and I worked with all whites. Mm -hmm. And so I learned the art of like, number one, doing the work to understand who you are in, in every season and in each of those spaces, what you need to be. Mm -hmm. And in order to kind of for yourself, like feel like you belong to, but also be a learner of whatever environment that is. Like, so it's like a two-way stream. Like they would be so open to me, but I think it was first because I was so curious about them and their, and like how they thought, how they move, how they dance, like what was the things that they loved? And, you know, because you're a child, you're innocent. You're not thinking about all the, the crazy things that, that adults think of now. You're so open to learning and exploring. And for me, different, every time everything was different, anything was different in my environment, my eyes would automatically go to that. Like I wanted to learn what that was. And so, and a small example of that was I grew up in a church that wasn't very strict. It didn't, it wasn't like, you know, super, you know, like you can't wear earrings, you can't wear whatever. And so I remember going to perform in a, in a place in Pennsylvania and I lived in Florida at the time. And it was a group of us. It's, we're all young teenage girls and we all had on earrings. Mm -hmm. And one of the leaders from that, um, denomination or whatever came out and saw wait are those are the girls are they going to perform with earrings and uh, my mother was like well yeah they, they're just studs you know like it's not a big deal and my mom's like well and they were like no well we can't have them on the on the platform wow. if they're going to have earrings and so and and then my mom's like well what do you want to do and I'm like well we need to take off our earrings I'm not going to allow something so insignificant to get in the way of the opportunity to be in front of people and to open up their eyes and show them something different. Mm. So I understood that it, it had to take me sacrificing and laying something down that I have or that I am for the greater, for the greater call and Got the greater it. responsibility. And I, I use that small example because I, I'm still that girl today. Hmm. I'm still that girl today. And so we have being the exception, not the rule. We have being willing to make the adjustments, I'll call it the adjustments, um, while still remaining true to who you are, right? Because you started off by saying you have to know who you are and then showing up appropriately in these different environments. And so you went on from Campus Crusade for Christ to forming your own, starting your own consulting company at a very young age. Of course, you were like 12 when you started at campus. <laughs> so exactly. You're probably the right boy age of 21 when you started your own. Right. 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 To my teenage years, yeah. <laughs> right. You're probably the right boy age of 20 when you became self-employed in your own consulting company. But yeah. talk to us about that process. Like that was a leap from saying, wow, 
I'm, I'm doing this now and I'm an employee and I have all these perks and this is great and they know me in this organization to now saying, wait a minute, I'm going to jump out and start my own thing. Talk to us about that process. Yeah. So I went from there, uh, fast forward on, uh, I was going to school, uh, when I graduated high school, I was going to school, you know, part-time to college in the evening. So I was working full time. I kind of just really dove into the work and, um, and went hard and listened and kept, you know, kind of getting promoted and creating really my own path. Um, the area that I was working for, I ended up managing and leading, and then I created a whole other area. And actually, I'm, I'm so happy because I, I just even went back recently, and that's like a whole department of 12 people to this day. And it's so like encouraging for me to say like this young teenage girl started this, you know, decade, wow. two dec over two decades ago and not really knowing what she was doing. And I formed <laughs> this whole new like world. And so it's, again, it's another full circle moment for me. One person truly can make a difference. And so my mentor, uh, his name is Jim. And he basically, I moved out of Orlando finally um, after going to school in New York. I, I fell in love, got married, started, moved back to Florida, um, you know, had my job before the, the wheels hit the ground in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then they just said, come back here. And, and so I ended up just saying, okay, I need to kind of, I want to do other things like outside of crew moved to Virginia Beach with my husband and now like my two kids, um, they were infants at the time. And um, in Virginia Beach, there was no crew chapter. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do without crew? I've had crew like my whole life. Mm -hmm. So my mentor basically was like, Erica, listen, I was like in 20 or 21. It was one of those. And he said, uh, Erica, I really think that you should start consulting. And I was like, okay, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I apply for that? <laughs> so you didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was. I've never met anybody at that point that was a consultant. Like, where would I meet that person? Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, how would I know what that was? And so um, I just was like, Jim, okay, all right. Well, what does that look like? And then he said, Erica, I really think that you can do this. I really think that you should consult. And I think, you know, you have a lot of gifts and talents. And I said, Jim, first of all, nobody's going to believe anything that I've done. Okay. So let's start there. I'm, like, even if I went to a company and was like, I raised all this money and I led events and I've been traveling the whole country for years, they would not believe me. And he was like, listen to me. He was like, I know that you're gifted. I know that you can do this. And he said, as a matter of fact, we'll sign on as your first client. Wow. Um, and so that's what happened. He helped me to form that. Um, and this was the same team that helped me fill out my college applications. Mm. You know, like I didn't have, I didn't have that, you know, and a lot of us don't, we don't, yes. we don't have a map yeah. of how to do this. And God bless my mother. Like, I'm so grateful that she was a stay at home mom and that was wonderful, but you know, she only spoke Spanish when we moved here from Puerto Rico, you know, um, to Orlando, Florida. She, she only spoke Spanish. She went back to school just to learn English, speaks fluent English today. Wow. So I saw kind of the hard work. My father's always been a hard worker, a mm -hmm. uh, workaholic, if anything. Mm -hmm. 
And so I just, I learned, like I had some of that like embedded into me very early on, you know, but he was just like, listen, uh, we believe in you. We'll sign on. And so that day crew became my client. And I said, I don't even know. So I've literally been working remote like since then. So people are like, how are you doing in this pandemic? I'm like, well, I've been looking at screen for like, <laughs> for like years. Three years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm fine. If anything, I'm, I, I need, I need glasses, but that's about it. So, but yeah, so he, he really was a champion and, and I don't know, P.S. I don't know the, 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 how that man fought for me behind closed doors. Mm. I'm sure there were people that were like, we're no, you know, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was just like, no, listen, you're going to do this. And this is that's so important. I, one of the things that I talk to a lot of my clients about is making sure that uh, you have a variety of mentors and that, you do need mentors that look like you because they can help you navigate certain challenges that have to do with your unique setup and makeup. So if you're young, you may need somebody who hit their stride young. If you're a person of color, you may need a person of color. But it is so important to have somebody who does not look like you. And I'm going to assume Jim did not look like you. (laughs) And because they are able to sometimes open doors that we can't open. They are privy to conversations that we don't hear. And they can help us position and adjust ourselves so that we can be successful. So that, that, that is incredible. So Jim said, listen, I got you. I believe in you. Let's do this. And not only am I going to talk about it, I'm going to be about it. Put my money where my mouth is. And we're going to sign on as your first client for your consulting company. So now you are 2021, you have this consulting company and you were still doing donor management and fundraising and that sort of thing. Yeah. I was doing that work and then it just kind of started to say, I just kind of started to find that there wasn't a lot of minorities that were raising money. Mm-hmm. And um and so anywhere that I went and people would say like, oh, what are you doing? And, and I would just say like, oh, I raise money. It's like, you know how to raise money? Like I was every, I was every nonprofit's best friend, you know, <laughs> every nonprofit leader. They were just like, what? And then, and then because they were young, I mean, because they saw that I was young, mm-hmm. they also thought that I was ignorant. Mm. And so they'd be like, oh, well, we'll pay you X, you know, like mm-hmm. they're going to get a deal because I'm young. So she can't be like that qualified, but my people taught me well. <laughs> and they were just like, no, you will not take this kind of work, you know? Wow. So even in that, like teaching, like um, they would, they really taught me like, hey, you're going to teach people. If you accept this That's at right. this level, That's you're right. teaching them that to tr- how to treat you. And so, <laughs> I have to tell you, that's so important because my husband and I were just having this conversation and we were talking about, um, uh, black owned businesses. And we were saying that for many of us, we are undercharging because we don't know what to charge because we don't have access to the circles where people are talking about, oh, I just signed a contract for X amount. I just signed a contract for Y amount. Even my sister and I, we talk, we each have our own businesses and she does some consulting work. And so she was talking about the importance of having a network of people who don't look like you, that you can go to and have a conversation with and you'd be surprised. And in one instance, I think she said she was getting ready to charge half 
of what she found out she should have been charging just because she didn't know, right? So, so that is huge that you have that network so you can find out what, if, what is this service really worth and therefore what do I need to be charging? So that's fantastic. Yeah, and they they showed me that pretty early on, and I, it's I'm not gonna lie and say like I've only gotten this high level client either, right. you know, mm -hmm. because you're like, well, I gotta pay the bills, so you're like, right. hey, what's cool. your name again? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Is the money green? And can, yeah. when can you get it to me by? No, that's real. Because it doesn't matter where you were and how great right. you were. Right. It's like, who are you today? What can you do for me, for me now? now? Yes, right. Yeah. So it's, that doesn't go away. Like, I still have to prove myself to a whole other community. Yes. But, you know, as God would have it, you know, he has a unique way of getting you into doors. And so, mm -hmm. like, I don't know where we were going next. But, like, uh, just another, like, quick, quick mm -hmm. story of that was that um, at the time I was, you know, working as a consultant, but of course I couldn't just have one client. Right. I mean, it's like that was full time. It was, uh, that was contract work. And so he challenged me like, okay, now go like do this with other people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, okay, what's this, whatever. That was a whole process. I had to learn, like I had to build up my confidence and I had to say, okay, I'm Erica Jarena and you know, I need to pay the bills. But, you know, I can't say that. So I was like, mm -hmm. you know, how do I go in and how do I do this? But ultimately, I remember um, it. a friend of mine was getting interviewed for her story for a organization called the Christian Broadcasting Network, which is mm. CBN. CBN. Mm -hmm. so, um, and so CBN is based in Virginia Beach, which is where I was now living. And so... Um, she said, Hey, Erica, the camera guy's here and everything. And she never wears makeup. She never wears anything. And so she was like, can you come over here and do my makeup? I'm like, do your makeup. I'm still trying to learn how to do my own makeup. I'm over here looking like a clown too. So like, uh, she just said, yeah, but you have that powder stuff. Like, can you just come over here? Cause my face is shiny. So she's literally like a three minute drive. Mm -hmm. My husband stayed with the kids. I don't even know. Like he literally called out of work for this. This is like, what's so ridiculous. <laughs> So you could go do her makeup. As this, I love this story. I love this story. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. So I went over there. I meet the camera guy, and I, he's the producer of the show. And I like put makeup on her really quick. And so, and then that was it. She shares her story. And she leaves, and the guy's like, "Oh, listen, um, it's so nice to meet you. You know, whatever." So then, fast forward a few days pass, and I get a phone call, and it's the producer of the show, and he's like, "Hey, listen, um, the makeup artist fell out for somebody that." Um, that she, she dropped out for somebody that was supposed to be here and I'm getting ready to do this interview. So like, can you come, you know, and do this? And my husband, cause my babies were, they were babies. They were infants. Um, my kids are um, 14 months apart. And so uh, I said, okay, so my husband took the day off and he's like, I'll pay you. <laughs> he said, I'll pay you. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, I'll pay you $50. And I was like, okay. Okay. You're a fundraiser. Do I don't so you're do makeup, though. <laughs> right, you're a fundraiser. Really they want to pay to do makeup. Yeah, but at the time, I really I had business cards, and I was uh -huh. starting my consulting company, and I just, again, curious, and like, who knows how God will mm -hmm. do things. I don't even know. I mean, honestly, my mind wasn't even really going there, because I just thought, whatever I do, I'm here to do somebody's makeup and I'm not going to ask about jobs or connections mm. or anything like that. I'm here strictly, unless somebody asks me, I'm not going to do that. I made that decision going in. So I do the girl's makeup, which, oh, uh, 
hopefully they never show those videos because <laughs> I'm sure I didn't do her makeup right. Like I didn't, I don't, I'm not that girl. Like I'm really not that girl. And so um, I went ahead, I did her makeup. And so in between takes, of course, we're resting and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, we're asking each other again, because my nosy self, my mm -hmm. curiosity. That was, curiosity. You know, I was like asking the camera guy, I was like, oh, so where'd you go to school? Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. The behind the scenes, the lighting, like, you know, I had all these questions. And so I was asking them questions. And so finally the producer was like, Erica, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, what should I say? You know, mm -hmm. and I had my business cards and I was like, um, I raise money. I actually work as a consultant and I raise money for nonprofits. He's like, you do what? Mm. And I'm like, oh yeah. And he's like, um, I need your resume now. He was like, I need your resume right now. He's like, I have gone before the Lord and I have been praying for weeks for him to send me a Latina, like a Hispanic person, not even a female, but just a Hispanic wow. person. Because the section of the organization that he oversaw for the show was under CBN Latino. Mm. So he was just like, I've literally been praying for you. <laughs> so wow. I was like, okay, well, let me, I sent him my resume and literally the next morning, he's like, you need to come in and meet with our director of international ministries. Wow. And so I and went so now in, you have CBN as a client. That's crazy. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like it's, <laughs> I, I, I went in at CBN, I meet with the director of international ministries and he starts, he just tells me, tell me your dream. And I start to tell him, oh my gosh, like I love people and I love the world and I want to help everybody and I want to change. You know, I like just start to pour out my 21 year old heart. And um, he said, great. He's like, two things I have to tell you. One, I've been in fasting and prayer for the past three days, specifically praying that God would provide somebody to help us in raising funds for our area of the ministry. That's number one. He's like, I walked in. And Omar, the producer, mm -hmm. had printed out your resume and had it on my chair. Mm. When I came in, literally, like, your, from these three days of praying and fasting, <laughs> your name was on me. And so he's like, whatever you just said to me, write that up. We're going to make that the job description. And we're going to hire you as a, con as a consultant for Wow. Wow. And that was the work with that. But it all started with, like, that small, insig what people would say, is an insignificant yes. It's like, man, just be obedient. Like, wow. just pay it open. Yeah, be open. Be open wow. to how God can use the smallest thing in your life. Yeah, so that I love that story. You told me that story when we first met. Yeah. I didn't know about your husband taking off work to watch the kids, though. Yeah. I didn't know about that part. That made, that made it even better this time. That is an incredible story. So you are doing this donor-based, you know, fundraising work. And then, but now at some point there was a transition, right? Cause now I know you knew you do a lot of diversity and inclusion work. So I want to talk about what you're doing now because, you know, listen, we're living in the post George Floyd world. And so we now have more attention on social justice, racial inequity, diversity and inclusion than we've had in, 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 in my entire career. And I've been in the game for about 30 years as a, as a professional post-college. And so I'm looking at the world we're in now and just thinking about how in demand and the need that there is for people who 
get the heart of what diversity and inclusion is supposed to be and not just kind of a check the box. So tell us briefly how you transition into diversity and inclusion. And I want to hear about the work that you're doing today because you're working with Harvard and all kinds of companies and institutions. Yeah. And so from development, uh, from development, it really went into the work naturally started to open up in community engagement. So like, how do you engage communities? Because essentially, that's what you're doing. You're cultivating a donor base, you're building a donor base, you're building an audience. So it's all language, it's all language. And so you start, I really start to move more into like the community engagement, gathering people. I've always done event planning, because it comes with you know, fundraising, the major donor galas and all that stuff, but the ability to really bring people together, which is something that I really love, love to do and, and do naturally. I'm a connector. I love to connect people, want to amplify the voices of, of people, um, especially people of color, um, men and women, because I we need that as I sit into these rooms and these boardrooms and executive offices that I do my work in. I look to the left and right and I'm like, that's not enough. I've never been satisfied with that. I wanna see more of my brothers and sisters represented around the table. And so, and because I know what it feels like to be the only one and I don't want other people to have to deal with that. There's no need for that because there's so much talent um, around the world, you know? And so, uh, but I went from community engagement and then naturally because of my work, it just evolved into like strategic alliances, strategic partnerships. So identifying strategic partners for organizations. So now that put me into the world after working like in the faith-based world for so long, I wanted to be very intentional to diversify my portfolio and kind of started to do work outside of the faith-based world. And I started first with working with nonprofits that were doing work around HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, ex it was ex so much fun. And it was so interesting to work with an audience that was almost like polar opposite to the mm -hmm. one that I was used to, like how those donors, what those donors respond to versus what these donors over here respond to, like what really motivates people. So it's like the study of people's hearts because their heart and their wallets are very connected. connected yep. And so, and you, so if you get to know somebody's heart, then you really have access to them and they want to invest, you know, into, you know, whatever it is that is pulling on their heartstrings. And so community engagement became, became like natural strategic alliances and saying, Okay, now the American Cancer Society of Manhattan, they're saying, Erica, we want to be able to partner with companies that come up, come together for our breast cancer walk in Central Park. That's 35,000 people. So now I'm meeting with the heads of, you know, Armani Exchange, Jimmy Choo, like all these brands in Manhattan and, and um, trying to raise money for them. But that meant more gathering of people and empowering those people to raise money. So it was like a very different model. It's, it's very like Mm -hmm. It was a natural progression, but like if I, if you would have told me to design it or guess how that would be, like I wouldn't have been able to tell you. So wow. then it turned into fund development, community engagement, strategic alliance, and then the nature of diversity, inclusion, and what I call belonging. So I do diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got that from a leader that I gleaned from in this work which is Dr. John Wilson. He was the head, appointed head of the HBCUs under Obama's administration. Um, he's currently the senior advisor to the president of Harvard University and the leader over all of their diversity, inclusion, and belonging work because he's saying the same thing. 
students are coming onto college campuses and we treat them like guests. Mm. And they're not, you know, um, they are students like everyone else. And so looking even in that sector of higher ed and the lack of how we have how we have approached, you know, people of color and minorities that are coming to school. It's like, we're the host and you're the guest. And welcome mm. to our campus. <laughs> we're doing something really nice, mm. but they don't understand that that's actually how we feel when we're on these, um, in these spaces. Mm. And so he speaks a lot into like the spaces and, and how that organically can exclude somebody. And you learn too the conversations. Like, so some people are saying, I'm inviting all of the right people. I've done the check, like you said, the checkbox. Like I've invited an Asian, I've invited an Indian, a Hispanic, or whatever. And it's like, yes, but if the conversation that what you're talking about can by default exclude those voices, mm. people not realize it. And so the just progression of, of my career and where I kept seeing the same thing. And then I worked with homeless organizations and I worked with, you know, I, I went into government. I've worked in every, every sector of, of society. Um, and I just started to learn like, wow, like there's even at the United States Department of Education, I am training leaders there in their world, their faith leaders on how to engage in with their communities. Wow. Like some things it's just like, how do you not like why do you even exist in a community if you haven't if you're not doing research and you're not paying attention to like who your customers are within mm -hmm. your region, you know, like at least do that. Any business that's opening up in a community <laughs> right. at least does that, you know? And so, and then just paying attention to the story that communities tell us, like, why is that nonprofit there? Why does that exist? So anyway, I got tired of saying, okay, not only am I not seeing minorities do the work I do, mm -hmm. but I'm also not seeing them at the board level. Yeah. I'm also not seeing them volunteering. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also not seeing, and so that just began to become, I feel like, hey, Erica, like a tap on the shoulder, like mm -hmm. that's your problem. Mm -hmm. Like you need to, you need to do something about that problem. And there's this like preacher that I used to hear when I was a teenager. And he said, if God called, if God allows you to see a problem, it's because you're the solution. Mm. And so um, <laughs> I was like, oh God, then I'm in trouble because that's all <laughs> I see is problems. <laughs> That's all I see is problems. So you were you were looking you were there in the fundraising space and in the community development space and then identified there's a belonging issue here. Like yeah. we have people in these spaces, but either they're either it's not diverse or the, or they have a, a couple people to check the box and they're not included or they're included in a way that requires their assimilation into the environment. We have, we've made them feel like a guest instead of making them feel like a part of the family and belonging. That, that is huge. And so as we look at now, this world that we're living in with, you know, so many businesses now, and everybody has put out their Black Lives Matter, right. you know, statement and their Black Lives Matter graphic. And one of the things I've said is, okay, that's great but now show me your board of directors and show me your executive leadership team. Because, so yeah, cause, yeah, because yeah, that's, that's where we really need to see. You're tell them, Monique. <laughs> tell them. No, I'm, I'm gonna call them and tell them to tell you, for you to tell them, <laughs> I'm gonna let you do that part. But, but that's where we really see the diversity, inclusion, and really belonging beyond the, you know, corporate communications drafted statements. So, what are you seeing now? Because you've been busy, because we've been emailing, and you're like, girl, I am busier than ever. Have you seen a difference in how 
the institutions and the companies and the organizations that you're working with are thinking about diversity inclusion in a post George Floyd world? Have you seen any changes there? Yeah, man, I am. I'm so grateful, first of all, for the for, for even the question, because it's been such a heavy uh, month, yeah. you know, and um, just as a person that's like super sensing, like, I don't even have to leave my doors. I kids, it's just interrupted, like, my sleep, everything. But it's like what I tell, I tell a lot of people, like, this has been interrupting my sleep. Like, this has been bothering our Black brothers and sisters. This is not, do you guys think that now we're awake to what the problem is too? Because it's almost like they're saying like, well, how do you feel? It's like, well, I feel the same way I did six months ago. You know, like you weren't acting right in that meeting with me. You know, that's how I feel, (laughs) you know? It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's new for you all. And I want to welcome, you know, that, that newness. And and I think what this has done for us is that it said the, like, it's less than 10% of Blacks and Latinos represented in most of these companies, you know, that are working in these companies. And so it sounds in, in those companies within those four walls, it seems like such a small problem to them. Yeah. And what this has allowed is for those voices to be so amplified and to say, like, you see, they weren't wrong. Yeah. When she was complaining to HR about this, that's a real thing. So now you find them going back into, like, files and to HR and just being like, wait a minute, like, this happened, this happened, or wait a minute, why aren't people being promoted? Why aren't Mm -hmm. people being promoted of color? Why is there no one in the C-suite that's of color? Like what's going on here? And they're looking and it's, it's so great because it's like, it's, you can't lie about it. You know, like there's other things that you can probably get away with as a company and just be like, Oh, well now that's, we can play that off or we can create a statement or a narrative that can, you know, make it sound a certain another way, but this is so obvious. Yeah. It's evident. You can, you can literally see it. It's so obvious that when that executive is going into work and now he's sitting in his boardroom and his meeting either with his board mm-hmm. or with his executive leadership team, he's looking around and he's like, wait a minute. And yes, I said he, because they're mostly he. <laughs> You're you know? right. It's intentional. Right. But, you know, they're looking around and they're just like, wait, where are the women? You know, and it's like mm-hmm. the one woman is like, I, I'm here. He's <laughs> like, president. I've been here, right? (laughs) I've been trying to tell you guys, you know, and so, and even the approach isn't always well, because now it's like, oh, let's just have like these conversations, like, and it's like, people are done talking, like they've been talking and been trying to communicate. So, but, but do listen, even if they're listening, they're not asking the right questions still. And so you're coming in to help them. We talked about this before. Uh You're coming in and helping them ask the right questions so that they can do that. You know, there, I was telling someone, I've gotten more requests in the past two, three weeks for somebody to, to, for facilitators to do DNI type discussions within companies. And I've gotten more in the past two to three weeks than I've gotten in the past five years. Right. And 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 this and these are not faith-based organizations. These are for-profit secular companies. But it just shows that they're really we lack the I think the awareness is now there. There's a huge gap in the language 
the vocabulary and the structure around these kinds of conversations. And then after we talk about it, what do we do about it? So that there's a huge need for people like you to be able to come into these spaces and be able to equip people who are now woke, as we say, they're now aware that this is a problem. How do we deal with this? And, and I'm sure you probably come across a lot of well-intentioned but off solutions. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you find you have to come in and adjust about people's perspectives on diversity and inclusion? Well, the biggest thing is that when I go into a company and doing this work, first of all, if you would have asked me even a couple of years ago, like, Erica, do you do diversity and inclusion work? I'd have been like, no, that's not what I do. Because I wouldn't have even called it that, you know? Like, I didn't even have the proper language to say, like, this is what I'm actually doing. So now, like, in the past few years where I'm like, wow, this is, like, really a thing. Like, there's a diversity and inclusion department in all of these corporations. There has been a diversity and inclusion department in many of these companies. So that in and of itself is like, what have y'all been doing for you? Like, <laughs> I'm so confused right now. Like, what have you been doing? Honestly, it's, it's like, it's almost like your insurance company. Like I pay you every single month. And the one time something happens all of a sudden, like you're not around or you're like, no, don't cash that check yet. You know, right. <laughs> you know what? So it's almost like a sense of accountability, even for those people that I'm like, wait, if you've been doing that work, you know, I know so many corporations that they've had a DNI person, and it's just like, I, I don't even know what measure, like what have been the, what the metrics have been. Like I'm, I'm even trying to learn that myself. Like, mm -hmm. what were the metrics? Because clearly, whatever that is, it doesn't even matter. Like you, we have to start all over. Yeah, I think for many, it's been rolling out trainings. So training after training after training, and I think that we're seeing that many of the trainings aren't really, they're just a kind of a check the box. They're, they're, they're scratching the surface, but they're not really digging down on some of the unconscious bias and some of the other things that are really proliferating the problem of representation and diversity in these spaces. So you have to go in and question the people who's, who are tasked with doing this to say, what y'all been doing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Uh, folks that are running these companies tend to be very heady. Mm -hmm. They're very, you know, factual data. And so we have to know how to present that in a way that shapes the narrative as to why, number one, this is important. And more importantly, because this is what really causes change, why, how it's going to affect you and your business moving forward. Right. Yes. And so what I found is, you're right, it's a lot of trainings be nice to one another, don't say this word, you know, whatever, it is, whatever that training is, but that addresses a symptom. Yeah. But these are rooted and systemic problems. So you got to go deeper. So anyone that's doing this work, what I tell them is, for me, I'm like, I need to go in and do an organizational assessment. I need to find out what the root is Mm -hmm. as to why you cannot harvest diversity. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this DNI work, this separate department over here, and then we're going to see how we can like weave that into all the other areas. 
guess it's not going to work. You know why it's not going to work? Because it's not the real problem. Mm -hmm. It's not the real problem. And so you go in and you truly do an assessment and you're listening. Um, I've led a, a bunch of focus groups, mm -hmm. taking staff at all levels, at all levels. Mm -hmm. and, and even for some where like they're only Spanish speaking, I'll jump in there and translate. I'm an interpreter, do whatever I need to do. But it's trying to get every single voice, not and then kind of meeting one-on-one -on -one with executive team members, one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. Because when you get people one-on-one, -on -one, they start to get real comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then you really, again, you've got to know how to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Because you can sit in and if you just ask, you know, the regular, mm -hmm. okay, this, do you like Black people? Do you like <laughs> right. Spanish people? Do you, right. do you right. people bother you? Right. Do you sneeze whenever you, you see Goya? <laughs> 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 We're not asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. We're, we're literally wasting our time. And I, and, I, and I really feel that. So like that curiosity and that child that I am, I have learned how to listen very, very intently and how to be curious enough to say, well, okay, that bother you? Oh, well, let's explore that a little bit more. Why did that, why did that homeless person bother you growing up getting off the train in Chicago? Like, mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. You know, like really trying to hear what people are not telling you. You, mm. I mean, it's that, it's the art of that, right? And then at the end of that, you're able to come to that leader and you're able to say, you know what? Actually, the, the, here's why you're not harvesting. And that's kind of just the statement I've been using mm -hmm. because honestly, like our churches, um, uh, basketball games, uh, supermarkets, um, they're not excluding any, you know, race right. or anything like right. that. You know, you have a need, we're meeting it, we're, we feel welcomed. It's not because you have our flag in front of the supermarket, it's right. because you have something that I need, mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's like, it's, what is the true, the truest story? And by the way, president or CEO of company, like for most of them, they inherited that role because the business started decades ago or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. So it's even like, listen, it's not all 100% your fault. You didn't even know that you were a part of this system. Like you didn't even realize it because you've just been winning through it through the whole time. So like, mm -hmm. why would you know your neighborhood looks the same as your church? It looks the mm -hmm. same as your, you know, everywhere that you go, it looks the same, your schools, whatever it is. So and, so and so you've been afforded the luxury of, of having this problem be invisible to you largely until we're at a moment in history where everybody's on lockdown, nobody has any place to go, everybody's eyes are glued to a screen, and now this is the image that's coming across. There's nothing to distract. There's no golf game. There's, no, there's nothing else to go do. There's nothing else to distract. And so I really feel like God allowed this moment. He didn't cause it, but he allowed this moment in history, these two to collide. And as you see, people all over the world are looking at this and saying, wow, things need to change. So that's, that's great. I, I love that expression that you're dealing with the symptom but what is the root of the problem that's not allowing you to harvest diversity in your organization? I love that. I love one that. One of those things, um, like a, a very simple example of that is one of my findings that I did with a client recently. Um, the root issue was identity. And they're just like, wait, what? And then I'm like, your people 
you as an agency, you as an organization, you don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. And so what happens with that, then they started to tell me the story. There was a change in leadership. There was this, there was that. Um, oh, okay. So there was a change in leadership. Okay. So like, when, when do you tell managers, trainers, directors, whatever, like, when do you get them on the same page? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't really, um, provide a training for that, or we don't really do. So see, you start to see how a manager can come into a role with who is a supervisor or managing a person of color that has great talent, mm -hmm. but that person, because they're insecure mm -hmm. and they don't have an identity and they don't know the identity of the organization. And so now they come in and they start to lead things in their own way. Mm -hmm. And they start to make their own rules because there is no standard. There's been no standard set. So mm -hmm. every person is leading things on their own. Mm -hmm. A lot of people complain about silos in a company. Yes. That's why you see silos in a company because there isn't a common agenda. Mm -hmm. So that's so important. And so when I, I see some of those issues and I'm saying, you need to let your people know that they're valuable. How do you let them know that you appreciate them? Mm -hmm. How do you let them know that they're lost? They are literally lost. And they're doing things based off of just some checklist that somebody's making up that doesn't even know what the heart of the leader is. And so it's just a guessing game. You waste so much resources, so much time, you're wasting money, and you're, worst of all, you're wasting talent. You have people sitting in a company that are qualified to do so much more. I was 14, I was 16. How dare us look at our young people like they don't know enough. They're not smart enough. They're not, you know, whatever. And even now, like I have a 22, 21, 16, 15 year old, and this generation, they're very vocal, but you know what? They lack experience. Well, let's help them get that experience. Let's position them. Let's provide more apprenticeships in companies, internships in companies. Let's allow them to practice. There's no age to start too early. My daughter, at nine years old was gathering things to you know provide a, a homeless shelter with a whole new um toys to play with and kids because she went in there and she said that toy looks nasty that toy is disgusting mm -hmm. we need to teach our kids and we need to teach people and adults like how to identify problems and then more importantly your value right what and solving them add? Yeah. What do I add and how can I add value to that problem? How can I become hmm. like an avid problem solver? And I'm telling you, when you take that approach, you'd be surprised at the doors that open up for you. Wow. Wow. This is good. I, I, I love the story about identity. It's, it, it, it's incredible that one of the dis, big disconnects as you talk about the values is personal develop professional development of our people is that a value is do we value diversity and 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 what is the value of diversity and when we understand that and then that value gets built into the identity of the organization then diversity and inclusion becomes less of a lift still needs to be worked on but it's in the, it becomes it's a part of the fabric of who we are because we've identified the value in it to us uniquely as an organization. I, I love that. So Erica, this has been incredible, incredible. I have loved this conversation. And you know, we could go on for like another, what, we're an hour and we can go on for like another three hours, right? <laughs> Four hours is our benchmark. But I gotta know as we wrap up, 
what is next for you? This girl who started her career at 14, child labor, <laughs> at 14. What other laws am I going to break? In the yes, next yes, exactly. What <laughs> other laws are you going to break? At yeah. 21, had your own consulting company. You spent the last decade and a half doing this kind of work, other meaningful stuff in terms of um, community development, donor bases, diversity and inclusion. What's next? Well, um, I will continue to grow and expand the business. I want to develop other people. I keep saying like, I don't want to be like in the front, like I love the behind the scenes. And so I want to be a champion for people um, of color, a hundred percent. And so one of those things is I started um, an organization many years ago, which I've now transitioned and turned, am turning it into an online training platform. And the goal of that is it's called Gracias. And the acronym is, it serves as an acronym for giving resources, appreciation, care, inspiration, adding value and service. Mm. And so that is the acronym of what Gracias means. And it's, it just comes from my own life story. Like I am a super grateful person. I am so grateful for any little thing and everybody that's played such a vital role in my life, even new people that come into my life, like you, Monique, like you have already added such like richness to my life. And so I am forever grateful and I try to live a life of gratitude. And as a result of that, what I would love to see is with the, the browning of America happening over the next three decades, Latinos even becoming a majority in the next uh, few decades or so, it, it, it tells me, I, I can't help but think, like, what does that mean for the state of our nonprofits if our black and brown brothers and sisters are not philanthropic and they're not giving? What will that mean for the nonprofits in our community that always close the gap of what government can't do and what others can't solve at the local yes. levels? So Gracias is here to serve as an online training platform where people can, number one, be clear about their identity. Who am I? What is my purpose? What are, why am I here? And more importantly, we all think that because we have like these broken childhoods and we didn't raise with a mom, we didn't get raised with a dad, or I was adopted as a young person, or I'm dealing with these issues of angers, or I'm insecure, or I was addicted to drugs, or whatever it is, it's, for me, I'm saying that is your power. Mm. Like, it is, the power is in your story. Your story is what qualifies you to mm -hmm. go into the room and to speak with the authority on that issue. That's right. And I just wish more people would understand the power. And instead, society teaches us to hide those things, like mm -hmm. to be ashamed of them. And I'm telling you, I want to encourage you to lead with them because there's something about the authenticity. And that is, the, that is what this generation is going to keep crying out for more and more because they're, we're designed to want truth. You know, mm -hmm. we're designed with the hunger for truth. And so authenticity is the best way to go. And you can go to like the most random artist out there, most successful artist in the world. And you're like, how is she so successful? She's a hundred percent who she is. She is yeah. and it's, it's just, it's just unapologetically themselves. And so you have something to offer an audience. We're all called into a particular audience, get to know who that is. And a lot of that is in a line, straight alignment, like with, 
your experiences and what you've gone through in your childhood and your story and all of, and all of that. And so Gracias is, it, it takes you through a training of identifying what that is and then helping you identify how you can use that now that known value how you can use that to add value in your work and what you're doing and how to fit in into the nonprofit sector and like maybe things that you want to do even board for a corporation because mm -hmm. not just nonprofit but the boards period we need more representation at every level of leadership and so my hope is that we are training and equipping as many people of color so that we're represented all throughout from the top down um, these organizations, corporations, our government, our hospitals, all of that stuff, because it's the only way that change is going to happen is that if we go in there, we lean in, we become curious, we ask the right questions, we engage with people, we listen, and more importantly, serve. Serve the problems that are closest to you, and that will open the door to the next thing love all i am here for all of it i am here for all of this this has been incredible and so listen i know there's some people out there who may be listening and you're inspired by erica's story and you'd love to learn more about her and there are others out there who may be saying hey i need to engage erica i need to hire her we need this diverse voice we need this in my company or in my organization i am going to do you the solid of dropping her contact information her website and her email in the show notes for this podcast erica this has been fantabulous i have loved having you like I said, when we met, I, I just knew you were somebody that we were going to develop a great relationship. We've had several conversations and it's always been just rich and so heart to heart and, and head to head because I like smart people. <laughs> so I've always been impressed with your insight. And so thank you so much for gracing the Graceful Hustle podcast with your wisdom and presence and love and light today. Thank you. I love you so much. I believe in you. You are a rock star. I mean, anyone and everyone that can work with you needs to work because <laughs> you are such you. a solid representation of what we need to see more of and such a champion for so many others. But you're brilliant. You're smart. It's so sophisticated, so classy. Um, I'm so grateful for the privilege to be able to just be in your world. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much and I'm, I'm going to pay you to see note that I promised you for saying all of that. We've got to take care of each other. That's right. That's right. We all we got. That's this right. has been the Graceful Hustle podcast. Until next time, y'all take good care and we'll see you at the top. Bye-bye. Thank you.